we as consumers have a lot more power than we think. We tend to sit there and be like, oh, well, this is all I'm allowed to put into my garbage bin. There are better solutions. And then we as Brightmark and we as consumers need to say, hey, the technology is there. I'm Oakley. Hello, everyone. I'm Sarah. And we're going to give you a little intro today to our wonderful speaker, Tom Hawken. He works at Brightmark, and we want to tell you why Brightmark is so incredible. So as you know, China's ban on the import of certain recovered materials went into force in 2018. In January 1st, 2020, China continued to confirm export on all bans of materials from America. Right. And so that's why Brightmark is so amazing, because they're offering a domestic solution, a U.S.-based solution for handling our recycling of our plastic waste. To me, this is amazing because we're adopting these technologies in the U.S. and also we're taking responsibility for our own waste, which is so great. I would have to say that when we're looking for solutions to our infrastructure here, looking at new technologies like Brightmark, is something that's critical to providing a commercial solution and also residential solution for our residential waste. And, you know, there's some assembly bills in the lease in the state of California, California Recycling Market Development Act, that puts in the financial aspects for investors to be able to invest in technology like this. I do know that there are incentives for domestic infrastructure to be developed in our own country. And so this is what's exciting about Brightmark is because they're implementing uh, domestic infrastructure to handle this type of waste, which is this plastic material. That's perfect. Great explanation. There's a few other things that I wanted to cover. We use the term MRF and we have a whole episode on MRF. So if you want to listen to that, that would be awesome. But it stands for Material Recovery Facility. And it's essentially the machinery that separates out your different types of recyclables. So we use that term so you know it. The other thing that I wanted to say was that Tom works to source plastic. And I just want to tell our listeners what that means. So You may not think that it's very hard to source plastic when there's soon to be more plastic than fish in the ocean, but it is very hard because all plastic is made differently and there's certain quality and strength of plastic. So Tom's job is to source the best plastic out there possible that has the best chance of being recycled. Did I summarize that well, Sarah? Beautifully. Okay. Beautifully. That's when you hear the term feedstock in our podcast, and that's what we're talking about. We're not actually talking about food feedstock for livestock. (laughs) Right, right. So that's good to know is that feedstock, we're talking about plastic. And the last thing I want to say is that we talk about how consumers do have power and we have more power than we think. And I can't wait for you to hear this episode and be inspired. Please, uh, in our Facebook page or in Instagram page, follow not only Brightmark, but also our Facebook page. And any comments, questions, concerns that you have, uh, please don't hesitate to let us know your thoughts. And we're looking forward to uh, having some sort of influence on your consumerism. And we thank you for joining us today. That's right. Enjoy. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. It's wonderful to have you. Thanks very much for inviting me in. Appreciate it. Just to start us off, tell us a bit about yourself. 
and your role at Brightmark. And for our audience, what is Brightmark? At Brightmark, we are a highly mission-driven organization that really is here to help solve waste. And we want to end waste. I know it might sound a little strange, but we try to really kind of envision what does a world without waste look like? And so, you know, we're at the beginning of a very long journey of taking things like potential renewable natural gas feedstocks like manure and taking other feedstocks like waste plastic and taking both of those things and converting them back into fuels and into new end products. And so uh, that's kind of in a nutshell, what we do at Brightmark, we have a plastic technology, which I will say is proprietary to us, which is very unique. And it's a bit of a game changer in the industry in the sense that we can take all kinds of landfill bound waste plastics and, uh, you know, make a really meaningful impact uh, on making sure that they don't find their way to landfill anymore and go back and get back into the circular economy. So um, some really pretty cool stuff. Everything that Tom just said about Brightmark is a game changer. You know, you say it with such with such humbleness, <laughs> but it really is. Being able to recycle plastics one through seven and use these feedstocks is amazing. So tell us more what you do at Brightmark, Tom. Yeah, so I guess, I mean, I'm kind of the where the rubber meets the road or where the plastic meets the road, which is my role is to secure all the plastic. And, you know, when you first think about it, you're like, well, if this plastic's everywhere and it's such a problem, why is it so hard to get it? It's really the, the aggregation and making sure that we get the feedstocks that can fit into our system. Now, it would be great if we just had this sort of magic box that we could take all these contaminated other materials outside of the plastics themselves and just jam them into our vessel and boom, out came a circular plastic product and boom, out came some waxes and some you know residual fuels and stuff like that. But it unfortunately doesn't work that way. So what we need to do is we need to be able to find good sources of plastic. I think the logical first place to look, obviously, is look to MRFs and work, you know, with them on residual plastic volumes, as well looking to, you know, post-industrial market, right? So um, there's a lot of a lot of big industrials with plastics uh, as scrap as part of their process. They're they're trying to improve, and it's really incredible working with you know sustainability people, really sophisticated people working on big problems on their end with respect to packaging and other forms of plastics and in everyday goods that we deal with. But um, so my, my job is really to secure those plastics and we ultimately need to do this in long-term contracts. So the difficult thing is that, you know, this is kind of an industry where it's like, what are the prices tomorrow for certain commodities and contracts? Contracts are a little bit foreign in terms of like long-term contracts. So, but we're building big assets here. So what Brightmark's setting out to do is requiring large financings. And so in the process of doing that, you know, our lenders certainly look to making sure that we've got feedstock supply wrapped up. So I think that that's one of the things that in the industry is certainly a challenge for people to get their heads around. You bring up such a valid point around feedstock and long-term contracts. You know, ironically enough, in the city of Santa Clara, which is my hometown, the franchise hauler has had a contract that is a hundred-year contract. And so things is like this. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Um, so this is a franchise, right? And so it's not that the garbage industry is not used to long-term contracts, okay? It's not that. I think that when we talk about barriers, and that was one of my questions, is what are one of the major barriers that Brightmark is facing in the plastics recycling industry? And you just hit one on the head, which is getting municipalities and their buy-in. You didn't say that, but that's kind of what I heard. 
and also um, it was being it was able. To, it was co- it was coming, Sarah. It was coming. <laughs> and and also the feedstock from you said post consumer or from MRFs. And so in getting enough, because I know that you, you are building the infrastructure here domestically and also internationally. Is that, isn't that correct? Yep, that's right. Yeah. We have our first facility, which is in, in Ashley, Indiana, which kind of sits right in the middle of the, the center to triangulate around. You've got Chicago, Detroit, Indianapolis, but it sits kind of right in that nice kind of industrial supply chain breadbasket there in the middle of the Midwest. And so that's where our, our, our first site is, which is going to be commercialized in a couple months. And then we just made a major announcement in terms of our second facility, which is going to be located in the Southeast, home of the Almond Brothers in uh, Macon, Georgia. So pretty exciting to, to know that we're, you know, we're going to make a major impact in that market too. Tommy, how are big garbage companies reacting to the solutions that Brightmarks has for plastics and handling the plastics? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, um, you know, it kind of takes me back maybe like two minutes ago when we were kind of, you know, starting to talk about municipalities and, you know, long-term contracts. I think with, you know, with MRFs and, and anybody who has chain of custody of materials, nobody wants to give up any upside, right? Everybody wants to make sure that they're getting, you know, the highest value for these materials if they're handling them. And so I understand that. But I think that that's the one thing is that, um, you know, just making sure that you making those, you know, those sort of like longer term commitments where people are comfortable to say, you know what, this has been a problem for so long and it's going to continue to be a problem. And I want to avoid landfill um, and I want to be able to put this business issue to bed for 10 years or five to 10 years. You know, that's really kind of like part of the hurdle. The other is also just making sure that you know, there's so much feedstock that gets commingled with other stuff out there, whether it's moisture, whether it's, you know, soiling, whether it's, you know, agricultural films, MRF residues, those are all big problems. So we're working on something that we call advanced material separation, where we start to work with and separate some of those streams and take some really big dents out of some big volumes. And in doing so, you know, solving some big problems for, for, for some big players in the industry. So I think we're pretty excited about that. Yeah, just to summarize for some of our listeners, because our audience is made up of the everyday consumer who all really care about plastic waste. So I'm sure everybody's really excited to hear about these solutions. But just to summarize a little bit of what you said, Tom, it's it's not just taking this plastic waste problem, it's working with all of the stakeholders. And that means the landfill owners, that means the recycling material recovery facility owners, this means getting the right price so that Brightmark can be a business and recycle plastic in this way, right? So did I summarize some of those hurdles well, or would you have anything to add? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, landfill operators and vertically integrated, you know, recyclers and MRF operators, I think that there's a there's a desire there to to do the right thing, which is to make sure these materials don't end up in landfill. But it's a little bit more challenging than that. It's not quite as as black and white as sort of an outside environmentalist looking in, you know, would like it to be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we have to kind of navigate some of those complexities. So that's certainly, mm-hmm. that's certainly a challenge. That's important for consumers to know. One of my questions for you is what would you tell the everyday consumer and do you have any takeaway for them? Yeah. I mean, look, I want to come back to what Sarah was talking about a little bit earlier, which is, you know, the municipalities, you know, ultimately are the ones and, and we as consumers have a lot more power than we think. We tend to sit there and be like, oh, well, this is all I'm allowed to put into my garbage bin. I sit there at home. I live in Marin County, which is a very progressive area of the country. And I look at terms of like 
every time I'm throwing stuff in the waistband, if I can close it in my hand, meaning if it's film or if it's PET, my wife's like, nope, that's got to go in the garbage, right? And I'm just saying to myself, I'm like, wait, what? This is almost like half of the plastic. And then we've got PET clamshells. The PET clamshells can't even go into the recycling bin. I'm like, wait, so what's, what's even going in here? If it's not like these perfect source separated materials. So I feel like we need to do like a better job of messaging to the municipalities who ultimately govern these long-term contracts. And it's not because the recyclers don't want to do it. It's because they need to make sure that they're protected and they can continue to make good business by doing it. Um, so I think the answer is two pieces, right? We need to, we, we as consumers need to keep the pressure on municipalities to say, hey, why is this stuff not going in? There are better solutions. And then we as Brightmark and we as consumers need to say, hey, the technology is there. Go figure it out, guys. The technology is there to accept these materials. We can take more plastics out of landfill. We got to improve on these, you know, 9% plastics to landfill number. And me as a consumer, I'm tired of putting this stuff in the garbage. I mean, it, it gets me fired up. I'm like, anyways, those are the two things that I would suggest there. Tom, you said it perfectly. You said it so perfect, Tom. I mean, it, it is ultimately consumers do have a lot of power. And we do put a lot of people in, in these positions in municipalities. And oftentimes it's about being aware and knowing when these, these votes are taking place and at the city hall and knowing when they're actually happening. I've actually had to go and be in some of these meetings and not just because I'm in the industry. Prior to being in the industry though, as a, a everyday teacher, cause I was an educator in my previous life, I had no idea that stuff like this was happening in my current community. So you said it perfectly that consumers have more power. And so all of our listeners just know that we wanna help you advocate to your local municipality and advocate on that there's better technologies and new solutions out there. And so that kind of leads us into some of our other questions, which is what is your vision for the future of plastics? Well. Maybe a segue into answering that question, if I can, is just to talk a little bit more about the power of the consumer. It's not necessarily, you know, sending a, a nasty email to your municipality. You know, it's also consumer choice, right? And brand owners are starting to become very in tuned with the fact that their consumers are going to start, you know, when push comes to shove, pick one product that's sustainable over another. So I think that that is real. And I think that that lends itself also to other legislation that we see around EPR, enhanced uh, producer responsibility. And to the extent that we see a lot of uh, legislation passing around EPR, I think that that's a really strong message that's coming from the consumer that's saying, look, you know, we need to get this stuff out of the landfill. We need to do a better job. And then that then sets a much stronger chain, chain of command down through the municipality, down to the MRF and the MRF operators. So I think that those are going to be very those are going to be very effective. That's part of the vision of the future. I think the, the other vision of the future is, you know, I mean, there's, there's so much plastic out there that we have a tough time dealing with. Auto shredded residue, um, agricultural films, just a lot of commingled product that needs to get separated so that the end products can be brought back into the product mix, right? And in the case of plastics, that's sending it to Brightmark so it can ultimately get converted into naphtha and then ultimately back into uh, plastic resins, right? So I, I just feel like we have a long way to go there. I think everybody loves to ask questions about ocean plastics. And I think that we're 
it doesn't take anybody too hard. You don't have to be a strong environmentalist to get concerned about ocean plastics. And, um, you know, what can we do there? What are the things that we can do as Brightmark to support those feedstocks and make sure that they can properly get aggregated? Can we do it economically? Can we do it in a way that there's still good monomers in there for us to deal with? So, and there's not too much, just too much issues with that plastic. So, um, you know, we're working on all that stuff. And I think that that's the big vision. It, it feels like it's more of like a huge cleanup to do at the beginning, but then, you know, beyond that, once we solve that, I don't know, what's the next problem to solve? The next problem to solve is probably, probably digging into landfills and taking out plastic, who knows, but let's solve this one first. Yeah, absolutely. I want to touch on some of the things you mentioned about Brightmark's process, and it's that you can take plastics one through seven. How much of it do you have to separate of the various types of plastic? Yeah, it's a great question. We can take one through sevens. I would say we really process the twos, fours, fives, and sixes. We, we want to um, make sure that consumers know that the message is clear, that Brightmark will accept it. But we will be separating out things like the PET, the PVC. We don't want the oxygen and the chlorine uh, mm. in our process. And we'll send those separated materials to their appropriate end markets so they can get recycled. So the PET, which is a very mature recycling market, and then the PVC, we can work with you know, PVC recyclers. And, and you mentioned naphtha. Can you tell listeners more about naphtha? Yeah, look, I mean, I'm not the hydrocarbon expert here, but we do produce three products today at our first facility in Ashley. And we're producing naphtha, which is kind of like the sweet crude, the light cut, the gasoline effectively. And then we also produce ultra low sulfur diesel. And then we also produce Mm -hmm. wax. So there are chemical limitations in terms of what you can do when you refine those hydrocarbons down, right? We would like to make as much circular as possible. And it's really that naphtha cut that we can utilize and work with petrochems to further refine it back into plastics. So that's really the great hope here, right? Is that, you know, outside of mechanical recycling, that advanced recycling, Brightmark technology is able to take and produce the naphtha and to be able to produce a resin, you know, a true post-consumer resin that can come in very high volumes through our technology. So that's really where we see the big chunk of, you know, increased sustainability of plastics. I don't, I don't want to out myself here, but I did work for oil and gas for a little bit <laughs> as an intern in, at Chevron. And I will say that naphtha is incredibly valuable. So really what Brightmark is doing is taking this waste, taking this problem and creating value out of it that is truly valuable. So there's an end market for it. That's wonderful. I, I am curious if the plastic that you're processing becomes other plastic products. So you mentioned diesel and, and wax and naphtha. Does it become, does a plastic bottle that goes through your facility become another plastic bottle? Not from us. And so it takes a village, right, to kind of like solve this problem. And we're just a piece of that. So I think what we're starting to do a very good job of is, is to market ourselves, to accept this material, do a great job then of processing the material and then getting ourselves down into those circular end products. And then in the case of naphtha, ultimately then working with brand owners and petrochems to make sure that the value of that PCR naphtha is good business. Sarah had a question about styrofoam. (laughs) Absolutely. No, we love styrofoam. 
styrofoam, polystyrene. I mean, this is certainly a material that we can accept. It has excellent yield. The challenge is, is it just is not very portable. It's hard to aggregate. It's difficult to get out there and get a lot of clean feedstocks that are polystyrene and, and transport them. What do you fill a truck full of styrofoam and it's like less than a ton, you know? I mean, so I don't know what the exact weight would be, but I mean, that's really the issue is, is moving it. And so polystyrene ultimately should get recycled at source if possible or where it's utilized, right? And where it ends its cycle. But that's way easier said than done. So we will certainly be a major consumer of waste styrenes. Um, but um, there's some other interesting technologies who might be able to, hopefully in the next couple of years, commercialize some interesting technologies that can take it more you know, closer to the source, as I was saying. So we'll see how those ones. Yeah. Um... Tom, I really wanted to ask how you got into this personally. Why are you personally invested? You know, I'm from Ontario, Canada. What that means in a lot of cases for kids growing up in Ontario is what you do there in the summer is you put a canoe on your shoulders and you go out and you live in nature. That's what you do. And you go and you, you learn to have a deep relationship with your environment. And if you ever get to a campsite, and someone's left burnt garbage in a campfire, I mean, that's like fighting stuff, right? You're like, what? You're leaving that crap in the fire pit? Are you kidding me? So from the age of eight all the way through the age of 17, when I would go to camp, I mean, we were taught to leave no footprint. That's what it was all about. And, and I think leaving no footprint has just been something that has just, if you're going to respect anything outside of yourself, you should respect your environment. And leaving no footprint is the only way that you can truly show that love for your environment. So that's what drives me. That's what connects me with our mission here at Brightmark is that leave no footprint. And who wants their legacy to be the fact that they've polluted waterways or have left ocean plastics? Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. This subject matter gets me fired up, but it should, right? So that's what kind of, that's the key motivator for me in all of this and obviously helping Brightmark to create a good business. I love the leave no footprint. I totally resonate with that. It, it is something that is why I'm so passionate as well about sustainability and zero waste and this quest to support organizations and companies like your company. With that being said, tell us what is new for Brightmark. What's on the future and the horizon? What should we expect coming from you folks over there? <laughs> well, I think I've probably either touched on or if not, I've telegraphed a couple of those things already. But one of them primarily is our announcement um, just recently to open a new plant in Macon, Georgia. So that's a, that's, a, that's a really significant announcement. So we're really excited about that. There's a lot of energy going into making sure that that plant's successful from a, a feedstock and a development standpoint and everything else. The other is, you know, I think I was alluding to earlier, just, you know, these difficult feedstocks that um, have long sort of vexed everyone. And I, I don't want to suggest that I personally have got the silver bullet, but I think because Brightmark creates an end market for these materials, right? And because, you know, I mean, we're paying for this stuff. It's not just like come and, you know, tip it here and we're going to charge you a big fee, you know? So we have to try to find a way somewhere between those two business propositions to be able to get those materials separated. It does cost money. You can't just expect to be able to get all of those problems solved. 
But we're really excited about what we call sort of advanced material separation. And we're kind of, you know, on this journey now to really sort of figure out how we can take a bigger dent out of some of those feedstocks that I'd mentioned, you know. So I think that that's really what should get everybody excited because there's significant volumes in, you know, automotive shredded residues and different recycled streams have a lot of residues from their own process, right? So we're really trying to crack into that agricultural films, depackaged food waste, you know, all this kind of stuff. So there's a lot of kind of interesting things that we're in. And frankly, I don't think we're too far away from being able to have systems that we could bring to financing and have a great solution there. So that's kind of what's on the horizon. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, Tom. This was really inspiring for us, Sarah and I, and for our listeners. So thank you so much. Thanks, Oakley. Thanks, Sarah. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today. Have any questions or comments for us? Have a question about what the hell to do with something? Join our community and our Facebook group, What the Hell Do I Do With This? Community. If you're a business that wants to save money and reduce trash, Smart Waste USA connects businesses and citizens to smarter waste solutions. Go to smartwasteusa.com. We'd like to thank our editor, Magden Geip, and Danny Finkelstein and Harley Stewart at Fight Night Records for our intro music. See you next time.